Good evening and welcome to the FIFA World Cup show and podcast for today. Wherever you are listening to this podcast from, whether you're in the United States of America, on the African continent, Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania, welcome to the most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly. Philip Alimo, I have love for sports. Yes, I would love to also know what you have love for in the comment section. Today is the 10th of December, 2021, in the year of our Lord. We are 15 days away to Christmas. Let me know in the comment section what your expectations are for Christmas and what you're looking forward to the most for Christmas and for 2021 as we are getting ready to kiss goodbye to 2021. On our program tonight, we'll continue our series of hearing from key players who played at the various edition of the FIFA World Cup and how the Mundial has shaped their lives. We'll be looking at Sunday Ulysses incredible goal versus Spain in 1998 at the France edition of that World Cup. We'll hear from Sunday Olise. We'll also be speaking to Robbie Keane on his dramatic goal versus Germany during the 2002 FIFA World Cup held in Korea and Japan. We'll also hear from Kari Kewell on Korea on Croatia, sorry, on Croatia versus Australia in that Germany 2006 World Cup. We'll hear from Fabio Cannavaro as well on that Germany versus Italy game in 2006. We'll hear from Steven Pina on the South African 2010 World Cup. We'll be speaking to Julio Batista on the South African 2010 World Cup. Diego Gordon on the South Africa 2010 World Cup. Diego Folan. Luis Suarez, Robbie Keane, and Ike Casillas. It's a packed show tonight. Relax, sit back, and enjoy whilst I take you on this lovely cruise, the FIFA World Cup moments. So tonight, 
without much ado, I'll go straight to tonight's program. So the first on the bill is Nigeria's Sunday Olise. He's a Nigerian football manager and a former player. In his active playing career, he played as a midfielder. He's widely regarded as one of the best African midfielders of all time. A physically yet technically gifted defensive midfielder, Sunday Olise played for world-famous clubs such as Ajax, Borussia Dortmund, and Juventus. Olise played 63 international games and scored three goals for Nigeria and played at the FIFA World Cups of 94 and 98. Olise also participated in the Olympic gold medal winning team in 1996. That is the Atlanta 1996 that took place in the USA. He was part of that winning Nigerian team. Sunday Olise was voted Africa's third best footballer in 1998 by the Confederation of African Football. He's mostly remembered for scoring the winning goal in the group stage game against Spain in the France 1998 World Cup as Nigeria prevailed 3-2 against Spain. A throw-in deep in the Spanish half was added clear by Fernando. Olise ran and fired an explosive shot from 25 yards and took Spanish goalkeeper Andoni Zubirata completely by surprise. We'll speak to Sande Olise and hear from him what that goal did for his career. Despite captaining Nigeria during the 2002 African Cup of Nations, Olise was omitted from his country's World Cup squad later that year for disciplinary reasons. After missing out on World Cup selection, Olise retired from international football in June 2002 for having led the team as they demanded unpaid allowances and dues owed them to be paid. In March 2004, Olise was sacked by Borussia Dortmund after headbutting teammate Vahid. Whilst on loan at Bukom, he allegedly faced racial remarks. In June 2006, at the age of 31, Olise retired from professional football after playing half a season in, with Belgium top flight Genk. We hear from Sunday Olise, the flamboyant Super Eagles forward, recalls his long-range winner in Nigeria's famous 3-2 win over Spain at the 1998 FIFA World Cup in France. We speak to Sunday Olise. memorable World Cup moment I have was my goal against Spain. Not just because of the goal, but because of what it represented for us as a team and me personally as a, as a human being. Because before this game, prior to this game, the preparations for us were very bad. We lost every funny game and there was so much a big doubt. And I had a discussion with Royal Lutonovic in his room and I told him, I said, it's one of the first times that I don't really feel very solid. 
And he said, it is not important what the occasion is, but it's important how you use the occasion, how what you do with the occasion with it. And I went into my room, went to bed, and the next train, I noticed I was really, really full of strength. Then my friend Taribo West said to me, said, Sonny, you want to hit some balls? I'll go in the goal. And I had to strike like, I think, 10 balls in a row, and nine went in, and he couldn't stop them, even though he's not a goalkeeper. But they were lost balls that were going. And I remember the goal I scored was one, like one of these balls. The ball was coming back, and I just struck it, and it was blending. So it was just like a kind of like folklore, and it's kind of like a big folklore back then, people always talk about it. But the fact that this goal also propelled us to winning the group, eliminating the great team like Spain, who had never lost for like 40 or 50 games before that game. And the fact that it kind of like cemented my family's name in the history of world football, it couldn't be better. Most definitely, this goal cemented his family's name in the history of world football. And I can relate to that. He played as many as, as, many as 63 games for the national team and scored three goals, of which this is his mem- most memorable goal. And putting that into perspective, Sandy Olise said something that struck me. He said, during the training grounds prior to this game, he had practiced almost about 15 shots, and out of 15, 10 scored. He was on target with 10. And he knew on the day of the game, if he had any similar to what he had practiced at the training section, he was going to score. What am I trying to say, my, dear, my dearest listeners? On this show, I always try to encourage my listeners, my audience, to aspire to greatness. And to aspire to greatness, preparation meets, ultimate preparation meets success. To everything, every industry you find yourself Always never look at the challenge ahead of you. Whatever you are, you are, you are confronted with, keep preparing. For, for me, for example, before I come on this show, I always prepare at least not less than three, two hours of research, of work to come on the show just to present for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. So my dearest listeners, I'm inspiring you with the story of Sunday Olise to also rise to greatness. He said that goal cemented his name and his family's name in the history of world football. I don't know what will cement your place in the history of this world, but I believe it's just a matter of time and we can't wait to celebrate you. Next player we'll be looking at is Robbie King. Robbie King's dramatic goal versus Germany at the 2002 World Cup. For my audience, will be wondering, who is Robbie Keane? So Robbie Keane is an Irish professional football coach and a former player who played as a forward. Robbie Keane served as a captain of the Republic of Ireland from March 2006 until his international retirement in August 2016, Keane is the most capped player and is the top scorer in the team's history. 
Yes, that is Robbie Keane for you. I'll be giving you a bit of background about him. Robbie Keane scored 68 goals for the Republic of Ireland over an 18-year national team career, making him the all-time record Irish scorer. His 146 caps is also an Irish record. Keane is the joint fifth highest European international goal scorer of all time and the only player in the history of world football to have scored at least one international goal in 19 consecutive years. King was the Republic of Ireland's top scorer at the 2002 FIFA World Cup, which was held in Korea and Japan with three goals as they reached the last 16 and also played at the Euro 2012 and Euro 2016. Throughout his club and international career, he was known for his goal celebration, where he performed a cartwheel followed by a forward roll. After announcing his retirement from playing, King began his coaching career with the Ireland senior team as, a, as an assistant manager under Mick McCarthy's management setup in November 2018. He also took on the role of assistant manager at Championship Club Middlesbrough in, tw- in 2019 with his former teammate Jonathan Woodgate as manager. King signed a one-year contract with Middlesbrough, which came to an end during the COVID pandemic and left the club on his own terms in June 2020. That is Robbie King for you on this show we give you all the information and all the education you need to know. This is your most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform. Robbie King's goal is one of the most dramatic goals at the 2002 FIFA World Cup when Robbie King scored deep in second half injury time against eventual finalist Germany. The Republic of Ireland and former LA Galaxy striker is going to tell us about this amazing moment. Let's hear from him. On the streets, you're playing, you know, World Cup teams, and never think that one day that you'll actually be there yourself. So, um, for me, it was uh, for the country, it was it was massive, and to, you know, to score in the last minute against against Germany was, I think, it stands out for I think for everybody, uh, certainly in that World Cup. And as a, as a Fantastic uh, tournament, I think, for the country. It's amazing what, what, what football can do for, for a country. It's a country such as so small as it is, it brings everybody together. And, and that was certainly one of those moments that brought the whole country together. I think Mark Kinsey got the ball in the last few minutes, and I think Quinney came on uh, I think in the last 10, 15 minutes of the game, played up front of me. And as Quinney does best, you know, flipped on towards me and just got behind the defender and Chester, and, you know, just had a forced on, and thankfully. You know, I had to post and went in. You know, uh, Cam did get get a hand to, but it was, uh, it was too much power behind us. So thankfully for me, I went in. We couldn't have walked out better. I mean, uh, the Irish fans was behind the goal as well. So I think we were there for two hours after singing. Yes, that is Robbie King describing what that goal meant for him and the Republic of Ireland. 
The next player we'll be, list, we'll be zooming on to is Harry Kewell of Australia. And we'll be hearing from him of how the World Cup at Germany 2006 shaped his career. I'll give you a bit of background about who Harry Kewell is. Harry Kewell is an Australian football coach and a former player. He was most recently the head coach of Barnet. Kewell played for Leeds United, Liverpool, Galatasaray, Melbourne Victory, Al Garafa, and Melbourne Hearts. Whilst at Leeds, he was named the PFA Young Player of the Year in 2000. Internationally, he has received 58 caps and scored 17 goals whilst playing for the Australian national team. A left winger also capable of playing as an attacking midfielder or a second striker. He is often regarded within the media as Australia's finest football exports. Despite his career being curtailed with injury, in 2012, Harry Kewell was named Australia's greatest footballer in a vote by Australian fans, players, and the media. Yes, that is the type of person and the caliber of personality we are talking about. Harry Kewell scored a goal against Croatia, which took Australia through to the knockout stages of the 2006 FIFA World Cup in Germany. We'll be speaking to him and hearing from him himself what this goal did for his career and for him and the entire country. Let's continue with the background that I'm giving you about Ari Kewell. The Australian national team's second World Cup. He's a member of the executive committee of the Australian Professional Footballers Association. Kewell also has a British passport through his father's heritage. Former Middlesbrough midfielder Ten Pandit named Kewell as one of the greatest players he has played against, but questioned his consistency and attitude after his initial injuries. Former German international Michael Ballack has also highlighted Kewell's ability and inconsistency. Kewell has represented Australia at the 1995 FIFA Under-17 World Championship, the 1997 FIFA Confederations Cup, where Australia finished runners-up, the 2004 OFC Nations Cup, which Australia claimed for the fourth time, the 2006 FIFA World Cup, the 2007 AFC Asian Cup, the 2010 FIFA World Cup, and the 2011 AFC Asian Cup, where Australia finished runners-up. Australian icon Harry Kewell remembers his vital and history-making equaliser against Croatia at the 2006 FIFA World Cup in Germany. We hear from him to describe the moment. My favourite World Cup memory would have been Australia v Croatia. Uh, we ended up uh, drawing the game 2-2. We went down 1-0 uh, straight away and uh, I think everyone in the, uh, the stadium thought, well, here we go, Croatia are going to come out now and uh, showboat and you know, really put it against Australia. But we held our nerve and you know, we, we got it to 1-0 and then we went down again into uh, to 2-1 and people thought, well, here it goes again. And 
we kind of pushed. We, you know, we had a great manager in Guinea, and he always made us believe that we could go far in this World Cup. So we kept on pushing and pushing, and eventually we come around the, near the end of the game, and we were hounding the the, the Croatian goal. And once you start getting that momentum, it was very hard for Croatia to kind of get back, you know, to kind of push us back up. We were pushing them back, forcing them back. And then I remember the ball coming across, and Mark was in there, and he challenged him as he's missed it. It's kind of fallen to me on uh, my left foot, and then I've kind of scooped it up, bring it back down to my right, and then just laid it in. And when it's just gone past the keeper, you just know. I mean, I was already off without the ball actually going in the back of the net before I realised that it was actually in. And you know, the euphoria that come over you and the team was phenomenal because we were on top then. We knew that we had Croatia. It goes down as a, in Australian history is that that goal got Australia through to the last 16. So for me, to have scored that goal and to be a part of the team that did that is probably my greatest moment in uh, World Cup football. Most definitely, that is his most memorable moment. Harry said something that struck me. He said they had a good manager in Gushedek who gave him a lot of confidence. One of the things I would admonish my listeners and my audience, whatever you seek to do, get someone who is a mentor, who has achieved success in whatever you seek to achieve, and let that person guide you, encourage you, and give you the confidence and cheer you on when the going gets tough. And Harry rightly mentioned that. And on this show, it's your most educative informative and exciting sports show on the calling platform. The next player I'll be looking at is Fabio Cannavaro, the 2006 Italian winning defender. He's going to tell us on his experiences at the World Cup and how it shaped his career. Let me give you a bit of background on who Fabio Cannavaro is. Fabio Cannavaro is an Italian professional football coach and a former player, a centre-back. He spent the majority of his playing career in Italy. He started his career at Napoli before spending seven years at Parma, with whom he won two Coppa Italian titles and the 1999 Supercoppa Italiana and the 1999 UEFA Cup. After spells at Inter, Inter Milan and Juventus, he transferred along with manager Fabio Capello from Juventus to Real Madrid in 2006, with whom he won consecutive La Liga titles in 2007 and 2008. After returning to Juventus for one season in 2009 and 2010, he joined Alali in Dubai, where he retired from football in 2011 after an injury-troubled season. He is regarded as one of the best defenders of all time and he's the only defender in the history of the FIFA Ballon d'Or Awards to have won the award. He won that award in 2006. Fabio Cannavaro has achieved success with the Italian national team. He was part of the Italy team, which won conservative UEFA European Under-21 Championship in 1994 and 1996. After earning his first senior cup in 1997, he helped the national team to the final of the UEFA Euro 2020 after being named in the team of the tournament and became captain in 2002. 
following Paolo Maldini's retirement. Cannavaro led Italy to victory in the 2006 FIFA World Cup in Germany and was nicknamed the Berlin Wall, Buro di Berlino in Italian, by the Italian supporters due to his defensive performances, which saw Italy kept keeping five clean sheets and conceding only two goals, neither of which were in open play. He was awarded the silver ball after being named the tournament's second best player. In 2009, Fabio Cannavaro overtook Maldini as the most cup player in the country's history. He retired from international football on June 25, 2010, following Italy's failure to qualify for the knockout stages of the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa. Having amassed 136 international caps and scoring two goals for the senior national team in total, he has represented Italy at four World Cups, two UEFA European Championships, the 1996 Summer Olympics, and the 2009 FIFA Confederations Cup. He is currently Italy's second all-time appearance holder behind Buffon, as well as Italy's most capped defender. Cannavaro was named the 2006 FIFA World Player of the Year, making him the only defender in the history of world football to have won the award. He also won the Ballon d'Or Award in 2006, which made him the only defender to win the award in a decade and the only third of all time after Frank Beckenbach and Matthias Sommer. In 2006 and 2007, Cannavaro was named in the FIFA 11. In 2007, he was named in the six-man shortlist, shortlist for the Laurel World Sportsman of the Year. His younger brother, Paolo, was also a professional footballer and currently serves as a member of the Guangzhou coaching staff under the direction of his older brother. After his retirement, Cannavaro became a member of the coaching staff of Alali, notably as a global ambassador and technical director from 2011 to 2013 and served as an assistant coach from 2013 to 2014. In November 2014, he was appointed as a head coach of Chinese club side Guangzhou Evergrande. On June 9th, 2016, he signed a contract with second-tier Chinese club Tianjin as manager where he led the team to the league title. So that is Fabio Cannavaro. Let's hear from the 2006 FIFA World Cup champion recalling what he calls the key moment in the biggest contest in that tournament, a semi-final victory over host Germany. It's a bit too easy to say Berlin when we beat France, but the key was definitely Dortmund in the semi-final against Germany. It was an incredible game, but the key moment for me was when we came out onto the pitch. 
All the German players were tall and focused, but none of them looked you in the eye. When I went out there to shake hands, everyone was looking down, and that was an important sign for me. When it was done, I said to Buffon, Gigi, we've already won this. And he looked at me and asked, how so, Fabio? Because they're at home, they've got the entire crowd behind them, but they're afraid. And in football, when you're afraid, it's a bad sign. And obviously, the match went well, but for me, that was the most important moment from the Germany World Cup. Yes, that is Fabio Cannavaro. He said something that struck me. He said, whilst they were exchanging pleasantries before kickoff of the game, the German players had their heads down. They couldn't look straight into the eyes of the Italian players. And from that point, he knew the Germans were afraid of him and his teammates and immediately signaled another Italian legend, the goalkeeper, Gigi Buffon, that we're going to win this game. For me, the key lesson I've picked from Fabio Cannavaro's story is in life, be very confident. Whatever dream, whatever aspirations, whatever you are working on, whatever idea, confidence is everything. Do not go into any project, any program, any adventure without having full confidence in yourself. Like I always say, my mantra, dream big, Believe, pray, and achieve. Always believe in yourself. If you do not believe in yourself, no one else will believe in you. So that is Fabio Cannavaro telling us how the Germans were not confident and how his team went on to dismantle the Germans in the semifinal and going on to win the World Cup in 2006. I hope we all aspire to greatness with confidence and above all, with the zeal and determination to achieve our goals. We'll be hearing from Stephen Pina on how South Africa felt during their first game and the first tournament to be held on the African continent, that opening game against Mexico. I was privileged to have witnessed that. But we'll hear from South Africa star playmaker recalling Bafana Bafana's opening match at the 2010 FIFA World Cup, the first to be held on the African soil, which featured, which featured some of the most memorable moments of the event. Let's hear from Steven Pina. My favorite memory was when we walked out uh, onto the pitch for the first game in 2010. I remember when we walked out uh, onto the pitch, uh, for the home up, you could hear the Vuvuzelas. It was like um, yeah, like bees just around the stadium, packed, and the happiness, the excitement was about to begin. No one expected that the World Cup will be will be held in Africa for the first time. And for for me, it was a dream come true to play in front of my family, my friends, 
and the whole of the world the first day was really emotional and I loved every moment of it. Yes, it's a dream come true to play at the World Cup. Another player we'll be hearing from is Brazilian Julio Batista on how he felt playing for Brazil at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. The thrill of walking out of the tunnel at the FIFA World Cup and hearing your national anthem is on the Brazilian's mind as he remembers the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Let us hear from Julio Batista. The World Cup moments I remember best would be the one I played in because it has great meaning for me. I think when you make your way from the hotel to the stadium, that's something incredible. There are so many thoughts going through your head. Then you arrive in the stadium and there's all the preparations. But what makes you feel good and realize you made it is when they play your national anthem. Yes, that is Julio Batista describing how it feels walking out of the tunnel and hearing your national anthem reverberating on the PA system of the stadium. It's everything. It's a dream of all the key stakeholders at the tournament to see the World Cup live. And I'm blessed and privileged to have witnessed Africa's only World Cup on the soil. Let's hear from Diego Gordon, the Uruguayan defender, describing how the World Cup meant for him and the games against South Africa and Ghana at the 2010 FIFA World Cup held in South Africa. Let's hear from Diego Gordon. It's difficult to paint just one moment. The World Cup in South Africa was special for everyone involved. The most important match was the one against South Africa in the first phase where we achieved the victory that got us through to the knockout stage. As for any individual moment, I think the most emotional was in the game against South Korea, where Suarez scored in minute 80-something, when we were in the second round. Then there were the penalties against Ghana. That was emotional. It had everything. That's really a memory, because so many things happened that we remember so well. And it was also emotional. I think there were some wonderful moments overall that we really enjoyed. Yes, that's Diego Gordon describing his experience at the 2010 World Cup. We'll be hearing from Diego Fulham, who was voted the best player at the 2010 World Cup. He's going to tell us his experience at the World Cup. But before then, let me give my cherished listeners and audience a brief background about who Diego Fulan is. 
Diego Martin Folan Corazo is a Uruguayan professional football manager and a former player who played as a forward and regarded as one of the best forwards of his generation. Folan is a two-time winner of both the Pichi Pichi Trophy and the European Golden Shoe at club level. With the Uruguay national team, he had a huge individual success at the 2010 World Cup, for which we'll be speaking to him shortly about, finishing as a joint top scorer with five goals, including the goal of the tournament and winning the Golden Ball as the tournament's best player. So that is Diego Folan for you. Folan also had a successful international career, scoring 36 times for his country between his debut in 2002 and his retirement in 2015, including six goals at the FIFA World Cups. On 12 July 2011, at the 2011 Copa America in Argentina, which Uruguay won, Folan earned his 79th international cup in a game against Mexico, breaking the record held since 1986 by goalkeeper Rodolfo Rodriguez. On June 20, 2013, in a game against Nigeria at the 2013 Confederations Cup, Fulham became the first Uruguayan to win 100 cups. Fulham was Uruguay's all-time leading goal scorer from 2011 until Luis Suarez overtook him two years later. Ghana, I remember this game so clearly. And to my Ghanaian listeners and African audience, in 2010, the whole of Africa was solidly behind Ghana at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg for that quarterfinal game between the Black Stars of Ghana and the Uruguayan counterparts. And this game was a cliffhanger. Ghana was just a kick away to the semifinals and becoming the first African team to winning, to qualifying to the semifinals of the Mundial. But unfortunately, it never was. We are going to hear from Diego Fulham to tell us the story of that famous game against Ghana, including his key goal and Asamajan's penalty. Let's hear from Diego Fulham. My favourite World Cup memory has to be from the last one because I played in it and because of how well the national team performed in the tournament. It was a great experience for the players, especially because of the way we bonded. We were based in a small city called Kimberley, which was very relaxing. We really enjoyed being there, living the whole experience and watching the other matches together. We were like a family in such moments. The match against Ghana was difficult, especially after Lugano went off injured in the first half. To make matters worse, Ghana scored right on half-time. Fortunately, my goal came at just the right time. It gave us confidence and we started to control the game a little bit. And there's nothing left to say about the end, with the penalty and everything that happened.
I think it was a little bit of everything. The work of the coaching staff was very good. The relationship between the players is very good. And everybody knew what they had to do. So on the pitch, we were all together. And even the players who weren't in the team supported us. And that was valuable as well. That is Diego Fulan, the best player at the 2010 World Cup, describing his key goal and Asamajan's penalty kick. And speaking of Asamajan's penalty kick, one key character around that controversial kick is Luis Suarez. We'll be speaking to him to hear from Luis Suarez what prompted him to do what he did against Ghana at the 2010 World Cup. I'll give you a bit of background on who Luis Suarez is. Luis Alberto Suarez Diaz is a Uruguayan professional footballer who plays as a striker for Spanish club Atletico Madrid and the Uruguayan national team. He is known for his passing, finishing, and comfort with the ball. He is regarded as one of the best players of his generation, one of the greatest strikers of all time. Suarez has won 19 major trophies in his career, including seven league titles and the UEFA Champions League at club level, as well as the 2011 Copa America with Uruguay. Suarez has won two European Golden Shoes, an Eredivisie, a Dutch Eredivisie Golden Boot, a Premier League Golden Boot, and the Pichi Pichi Trophy. He scored over 500 career goals for club and country. Nicknamed El Pistolero, meaning the gunman, Suarez began his senior career at national level in 2005. At the age of 19, he signed for Groningen before transferring to Ajax in 2007. There, he won the Dutch Eredivisie title and the KNVP Cup. In 2011, Suarez signed for Premier League club Liverpool and won the League Cup in his first full season. In 2014, he equaled the goal-scoring record for a 38-game Premier League season and won his first European Golden Shoe. That summer, Suarez moved to Barcelona in a transfer worth 82.3 million euros. That is approximately 64.98 million pounds, making him one of the most expensive players in football history. In his first season, he won a continental treble of La Liga, the Copa de la Real, and the UEFA Champions League with Barcelona. In his second season, he won the Pichi Pichi Trophy and his second European Golden Shoe, becoming the first player since 2009 to win both awards, other than Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. He also led La Liga in assists, becoming the first player to do so in both goals and assists in the league's history. With Barcelona, he won 10 additional trophies, including three La Liga titles, three Copa de la Reals, and he signed for Atletico Madrid in 2020, winning his fifth La Liga title on his debut season. 
At international level, Suarez is Uruguay's all-time leading goal scorer, and he has represented his nation at three editions of the FIFA World Cup and four editions of the Copa America, as well as the 2012 Summer Olympic Games in London and the 2013 FIFA Confederations Cup in Brazil. Suarez has been a source of controversy throughout his career, as well as his goal line handball against Ghana at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. He has also beaten opponents on three occasions. Yes, <laughs> Suarez has a lot of controversies. I cannot imagine biting your teammates on three occasions. Yes, that is who Suarez is. Suarez has also been accused of and admitted to diving in 2011. The FA found him guilty of racially abusing Patrice Evra. Very, very, very controversial player. Yet, the ultra-talented Uruguayan striker, Luis Suarez, will be telling us about his infamous handball. And that Sebastian Aubry's audacious winning penalty against the Black Stars of Ghana at the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa. Let's hear from Luis Suarez, Hell Pistolero. I think it was just instinct. Any player would have done the same, not just me. I stopped the ball with my knee. Then a player from Ghana headed the ball. And my first instinct, my first reaction, was to use my hand. The ball would have gone in and a penalty was awarded. Some people have accused me of a lack of sportsmanship. But I think it's worse if a player suffers an injury when he's stopped by a bad tackle as he's about to score. The penalties were an incredible story. Every time a player took a penalty, Sebastian Ebru would say to his teammate, Jorge Fuseli, did you see that? The Ghana goalkeeper moved. Eventually, Fuseli got fed up and said, look, if you want to chip it, chip it. It was a brave decision by the coach to have Abru take a penalty, especially as you know that Abru is capable of trying things and making everyone suffer. I didn't know who was going to take the penalties because I've been sent off. I was in the dressing room with reserve keeper Juan Guillermo Castillo and someone else watching the penalties from there. When we saw Abru was going to take one, and to be fair, I didn't realise he was going to take the fifth, Guillermo and I started to discuss how he was going to take it. I said he wasn't going to chip the ball, but Guillermo argued that he would. Then we saw him chip it. We cheered the goal and remained shocked for a minute or so at what he'd just done. Then we realised we'd won the game, so we went out onto the pitch to hug everyone and celebrate the victory. That is Luis Suarez describing that infamous handball that stopped Ghana from progressing to the semi-final of the 2010 World Cup. We'll be hearing from Ian Robin, who would also be telling us what he remembers of that incredible final game between the Netherlands versus Spain. And that famous Ike Casillas save 
at the 2010 World Cup finals. Let me give you a bit of background on who Iron Robin is. Iron Robin is a Dutch former professional footballer who played as a winger. He is known for his dribbling skills, speed, ball control, and his long-range shots. Robin is regarded as one of the best players of his generation and one of the best wingers in the world in his prime. Robin first came to prominence with Groning, for whom he was player of the year for the 2000 and 2001 era de VC season. Two years later, he signed for PSV, where he became the Netherlands Young Player of the Year and won the Dutch era DVC title. The following season, Robin's signature was pursued by leading clubs, and after protracted transfer negotiations, he joined Chelsea in 2004. Robin's Chelsea debut was delayed through injury. Upon returning to fitness, he helped Chelsea bring home two consecutive Premier League titles and was a Premier League Player of the Month in November 2005. After a third season in England, which was punctuated by injury, Robin signed for Real Madrid in a transfer worth, worth 35 million euros. In 2009, Robin transferred to Bayern Munich for a fee of around 25 million euros. In his first season in Munich, Bayern won the league title, Robin's fifth league title in eight years. Robin scored the winning goal in the 2013 UEFA Champions League final, being named the squad of the season. In 2014, he was named to the FIFA Pro World 11 UEFA Team of the Year and finished fourth place in the Ballon d'Or. In Germany, he won 20 trophies, including eight Bundesliga titles, five DFB Pokals. During his long spell at Bayern, Robin was known for his fruitful partnership with fellow winger Frank Ribery. Together, they were affectionately referred to by the nickname Robbery. Yes, they can rob you on a good day with their speed, skills, and most importantly and beautifully, their dazzling goals. Robin started in the 2010 FIFA World Cup final, which the Netherlands lost to Spain. He appeared at the 2004, 2008, and 2012 UEFA European Championships and the 2006, 2010, and 2014 FIFA World Cups. The latter, he won the bronze ball and was named the All-Star team at the 2014 FIFA World Cup. On July 15, 2021, Robin announced his retirement from professional football. In this interview, we'll hear from the Dutch superstar, Ian Robin, describing his incredible drama of the 2010 final and Ike Casillas' save. Let's hear from Robin. It was a tournament in South Africa, of course. It was a great tournament until the final. 
and we grow in such a lot as a team. It was such an amazing and special experience to have so far from home. We went all the way to the final together. It might have been painful and sad to lose in the end, but the whole thing left great memories for us all. We all felt that, together, we really delivered something. Yes, that is Ian Robin describing that finals between Netherlands and Spain at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Another player who was very instrumental at that fin- in that finals is Spanish hero Ike Casillas, who give us his side of the story in which he made two fantastic saves of Iron Robin in the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, explaining that they were a mixture of preparation, luck, and bravery. We'll hear from Ike Casillas, and Ike Casillas will be our last legend we'll be hearing from on tonight's edition of the FIFA World Cup show. So let's hear from Ike Casillas. When you win the Golden Glove, and it's come on top of a team prize, then it's very special. Winning an individual award when your team hasn't won leaves you with an empty feeling inside. But I was lucky in that we won the World Cup and I was named best goalkeeper of the tournament. So it doubled the happiness for me. The first save was perhaps the most important. It was a one-on-one situation. And of course, in those two or three seconds, a lot of thoughts went through my mind. I had to stand my ground and guess where he'd moved. I'd done some pre-match analysis just in case this sort of situation occurred. But you also have to have a bit of luck in moments like that. I was lucky in the way I blocked the ball from Robin. It wasn't with my hands as a keeper would normally do. I had to do it with my feet. And the second time, he was already a little off balance, thanks to the challenges of both Puyol and Piquet. So again, I was lucky in that I could get it at a moment when he wasn't in full control. It was more difficult for the first save. In the end, I achieved something on both a personal and a team level. So I'm very happy. Yes, Ike Casillas said something, and I'll wrap up our show with it. He said he wants something incredible on a team level and on an, on an individual level. And without his teammates, he wouldn't have achieved what he achieved with the national team. Another theme, another key value I want to leave my audience with is teamwork. Always learn to be a good team player wherever you find yourself, whether in the family unit, within your community, and your nation at large. Until same time, Sunday, it's been fun, it's been exciting coming your way with the FIFA 
World Cup show. Stay strong, stay safe, and be kind. It's 15 days to Christmas, and I can't wait for Christmas. Thank you. I leave you with our signature tune, the FIFA Anthem.